Good morning. I'm not that tall, but I'll move it to the side a wee bit. <laughs> All right, I'll be fine. Um, so yeah, good morning. And so this morning, as has been said, um, it's Father's Day. And, and as again, as Neil said, and as we even saw a little bit in that video from Home for Good, it can be a challenging day as well as a day that we get to celebrate um, the men in our lives. And so as I was thinking about this morning and, and praying about it, um, I just felt like God wanted to remind us of his father heart. Um, and if you've been around this church for any length of time, you know that that's something that we are passionate about, that people will understand who he is as their father, who God is as our father. Um, and I suppose part of me was a little bit hesitant. Um, in some ways, it's quite a simplistic thing. It's not anything new, but um, I think it was Friday morning. Alan Emerson said, you know, we come to church not to necessarily learn new things, but we come to church to remember what we know. Uh, and so hopefully this morning, that's what this is going to be. We're coming back. Um, maybe, maybe some of this might be a little bit new for you, but hopefully it will just be a reminding us of what we know. Because uh, if you're anything like me, it's so we learn things and we so quickly forget them within the same breath or within the same thoughts. Uh, and so this morning... We are here together. We're gathered as the family of God. We're gathered as um, unique individuals, but unique individuals that create his family, that create his people. And we were created to know our creator. We were created to be in relationship with him. We were created to be as family, getting to know him together and journeying on this together with him. We are his sons and we are his daughters. And, and as we come together, it's, it's hard it's easy sometimes that we get distracted by the busyness of life and, and as we're going about life, it's, it's easy sometimes for little things to creep in that, that tarnish or make us forget that that is our core identity, that we are his sons and his daughters. So we come to church to be reminded of what we know. The other week, Brent spoke about the prodigal son and, and the elder brother. And, you know, they actually, although they both lived in the same house, they lived with their father in the house. They both had orphan spirits. The, the prodigal son, in the sense of he had this orphan spirit of feeling like there was far more, that there was a greater thing out there than there was in his home. Uh, the, the elder brother, he was in the home and he spent all that time in the home. And yet he had this, he had this, um, like a spirit of lack because he felt like he didn't have enough, even though everything, as, as the text says, everything, the father says to him, everything that I have is already yours, but we, we celebrate your, your brother coming back. And so sometimes we, we can walk in life. We spend time in the father's house. We spend time with the father, but actually we forget. We Little bits of lack or little bits of an orphan spirit begin to creep in in our thoughts, in our words, and in our actions. And so this morning, we're going to be reminded of what we know, that we are his sons and his daughters, and we are here to spend time in his presence and to connect with him. And the Father is longing that we would connect with him this morning, that we would choose to be united with him. Um, and, and that starts with choosing to spend time in his presence. And so for me, sometimes I find actually when it comes to a set devotional time or having a quiet time, whatever terminology you like to use, actually there's been times where I've really struggled with that. And I think actually as I've been able to reflect on it, there was a, there was a quote someone else said over the weekend at the conference where it was like, you live your life, um, you understand your life when you look backwards, but you live it, you have to live it going forwards. And so looking back, 
I can see that the times that I've struggled, I suppose, having that quiet time or devotional time is actually because I, I have probably put um, kind of limitations on it or I've maybe felt like from what other people have told me about it or taught me about it has put limitations on it. And for me, um, and I, I'm sure those people never intended it for that. They were maybe just sharing what works for them. But actually, um, there, was, there was times, and, I, and, and in some ways, I suppose... Uh, giving them grace, I don't know that they would mean it to have been that way, but actually what they, what I was told and what I was taught about those quiet times or the devotional times actually hindered me in being able to really connect with God in those quiet times. And, you know, I'm sure you've all heard that um, getting up early is the best time to have your quiet time, or there's people tell you that it has to happen at a certain time. Now, my mom's here and you can, you probably don't need to ask her to prove this, but um, I by nature, my natural rhythm is not to be the most awake and the most happy morning person. I am, um, it's a bit, it's a bit of a joke, but when I used, when I lived at home still and in the morning getting up, my mum used to take my dad to work early and she would usually poke her head in the door and just say, right Amy, I'm going to take dad to work, it's time to start getting up and getting ready and uh, usually then I would fall back asleep she would go and come back and about half an hour later she would come in sort of expecting me to be awake because she'd been you know she'd been out and she was up and she's the sort of person who's up and awake and ready to go about her day and ready to hit the ground running I need a little bit more time to to get there um, but anyway she'll come in and uh, she would rhyme off a list of things that she was going to do or wanted me to do or whatever it was a list of things that was going to happen during that day and um, anyway I would go get ready for school, come back from school. She would come back from work and she'd be like, Amy, I asked you to do blah, 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 blah. And I'd be like, did you? When, when? <laughs> so she, she hits the ground running nice and awake and I am not that kind of person. And so actually when I was, when I was struggling with not being able to get up early to do my devotional time, um, I sort of felt like God was just saying, well, you know what? That's not your best time of day. And to be honest, I don't want to talk to you then either if you're going to be that grumpy. <laughs> um, and so it's a, a bit of a loose example, but I just felt like God was giving me a bit of freedom. And maybe some of you need to hear this this morning that actually it doesn't matter if it's first thing in the morning. If you're a morning person and that is your best time of day, go for it. If you're a night person like me, maybe that's your best time of day. If lunchtime is your free time, the one time that there's no kids around because you're at work and you're, you get peace and quiet over then, then go for it then. But um, I heard a podcast and they talked about finding your tiger hours was what they called it. So it's like whatever, whatever time in your day, maybe it's mid-morning, maybe it's late at night, whatever time in your day works for you, that is the time that you should be setting aside uh, to spend time in God's presence because he's not fussy about first thing in the morning or is he fussy about late at night. He just wants you to connect with him. He wants you to, to come to him and be able to spend time with him, not out of guilt and not out of shame and not out of feeling like you have to be there. Because actually, when I did push myself, and there's times I've had seasons actually where I've found mornings to be the best time um, for that and I've even just I suppose that kind of sacrifice of getting up early when it's not my natural rhythm uh, I found to be just to be really helpful but then there were seasons where it came and actually the getting up nearly became like a, a, a sort of grudge to getting up early and missing out on that little bit of extra sleep and so um, I found that I wasn't able to connect well and I wasn't connecting with the father because I was sitting reading and it wasn't really computing it wasn't really going in um, and, and that guilt was stopping me or that um, sense of uh, being forced to do it or feeling like I had to do it at that certain time was kind of preventing me, it was causing a blockage with me um, in spending time with my father. And so um, 
find what works for you. Find maybe you just need to f a wee bit refreshing in that. So I even have found recently there's an app and it's someone just speaks like a, they, they read a verse and they, they speak out a few reflections. Because I sometimes find that reading, you do, I do a lot of reading um, for work and there's a lot of time where I spend in front of a computer, you know. And so sometimes actually having to sit and read, sometimes that can be tiring for me. And so actually listening to someone share um, thoughts on the Bible can be a little bit helpful and a little bit just refreshing. So it's not necessarily the same routine. And, and so it's just finding that freedom to be who you were created to be because we were all created differently. We were all created with different minds and different um, learning, learning types and learning styles. And so whatever works for you, that's how you connect with the Father. So for some of us, it might be singing. For some of us, it might be painting. For some of us, it might even be an out in creation, you know, the Bible talks about how all of creation um, testifies to the glory of God. And sometimes it's just going for a walk and spending time outside and spending time with the Father in nature and not feeling the pressure of having to be sitting studying because there's, there's, you can study the Bible, but that's not necessarily connecting with the Father because there's a big difference between studying and connecting with the Father. And sometimes connecting with the Father can just be through one single verse. It doesn't have to be big passages. It can be, but it doesn't have to be. And so I think I've just found a lot of freedom in being able to be released from the need to fit in a certain mold and a fit in a certain way of connecting with the Father because we are all so different. And he created us that way. So if he created us to be different and created us in a new, unique way, then why wouldn't he want us to connect with him in a way that is unique to us? So unity brings joy to God because it reflects his character and his passion. And at the very core of who he is, is this united Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In Genesis, we, the Bible says, let us create man in our image. There's a unity there with, with God as the three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But there's a unity in the beginning with Adam and Eve. There's a unity when they walk in the garden together. And then the fall happened and there was this um, disunity or division happened between uh, God and, and man and as we follow the biblical story we see the impact of this division we see in the story of Jacob and Esau we see the division that happened between those two brothers who were created to be in a close relationship as brothers but this division came along and the pain um, of that division has car carried on through generations to come and as we continue through the biblical story we see the descendants of Jacob or the, the children of Israel, um, we follow their story through the book of Exodus and into the books of the prophets. And we see the kingdom and the people of Israel split into two kingdoms again, a northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And by the time we reach the New Testament, the time that Jesus um, walked on the earth, there was even more branches of Judaism and probably around eight key ones, but uh, probably more than that still. And do you know, there's something similar to the, the time. So Jesus came to earth in a time where there was division amongst the people of God, and we are in a time where there is division amongst the people of God. In some ways, there's a heritage. There's a part of our heritage. We see this division, and now we're standing in this division. But unity with the Father is at the core of all that we were created to be. In our being, in our innermost being, when we were formed in our mother's womb, unity was put in there to be united with the Father. And our soul longs for that connection. Our soul longs to be united and to be connected with our Heavenly Father and to know that sense of connection with Him and to feel that sense of belonging with Him. And unity with God is a lifelong journey and um, it's out of our time of being connected with Him that we learn what it is to be connected with one another. 
Um, so I'm going to get my, going to pass over to, in our sense of unity, I'm going to pass over to my mum for a minute. And she, um, she's going to share just a little bit of her story um, with us. Is that okay? Can you hear me from that? Um, so when Amy was home the last time, she, um, it was at a time when I had been asked to speak in my church in August. So I thought, I'll ask Amy. So I said, Amy, how do you fancy speaking at our church when you're home in August? And she was like, yeah, okay. And then a little while later she said, Mum, do you know when you're coming over for the Tavar conference? She's, would you speak in our church? <laughs> so it's about being careful what you ask for. So Amy's asked me to share a little bit of my life with you this morning. Um, but I'd like to preempt it by saying that disunity um, in a family doesn't necessarily come from a lack of love. Um, and I know at times in my life I've forgotten that. Often, as was in the case of my family, the disunity was caused by not understanding that to truly love as family, um, it means to face up to life's difficult conversations. Difficult conversations um, where things are said with love and respect can give a foundation for real growth. For most of my 58 years, I've had a conversation in my heart that I've never been able to have. My mum passed away when I was very little and I grew up knowing nothing about her. Any conversations or questions were quickly shut down by my dad and my grandparents because they couldn't cope with their grief. When it happened, my two sisters and I were three and a half, two and me almost one. They felt that if they didn't talk about it to us, um, we wouldn't get upset and we wouldn't be affected by it, but how wrong they were. So this became an unspoken conversation that got stuck in my head. When my mum died, we moved to live with my maternal grandparents. And one of my mum's sisters, my auntie Jess, and her husband, my uncle Clem, moved in to help look after us because my dad traveled a lot with his job. So we had lots of love in our life, not much room in the house, because there was a lot of us in a very small flat. Um, but for me, there was a hole in my heart that I didn't understand. There was this unspoken conversation and questions that were never able to be voiced. Just before my dad married my stepmom, there was a misunderstanding between my maternal family and my dad and my stepmom, that could easily have been rectified if people had just been able to communicate effectively with each other. But instead, it led to a breakdown in our family. When they got married, they felt that we would settle into our new family unit more easily if we had no connection with my maternal family for the first year of, our, of their marriage. At that stage, I was six. So we were not to see my grandparents. 
auntie and my uncle who'd brought us up. My mum's other sister, my auntie Kath or my uncle Jack, or my three cousins who were our close playmates. Any questions or discussions were not allowed, adding another layer to the ongoing, the ongoing unspoken conversation that was in my head. In his grief, my dad destroyed all the photographs of my mum. So I was in my late 20s, a married woman, before I ever saw a photograph of her. The photograph was tiny, and it was black and white, and it was a group photo. So you couldn't make out any detail. Who did she look like? Did I have any resemblance to her? My beloved dad passed away two years ago. I love my dad. There's a lot of love around pain. Fathers are so important. People who have a fatherly influence on children's lives are so important. It goes beyond measure. But my dad asked me in these last weeks, did I want to know anything about my mum? And it sounds cruel now, but all I could say was, I didn't know where to start because I knew nothing and I wanted to know everything. He said I had a bit of her nature, but he was tired and he would tell me more, but it was too late. We never got back to the conversation. We'd left it too late. My auntie Jess and my uncle Clem didn't have any children. They weren't able to. But what I didn't know until just a few years ago, so 50 odd years down the line, was that whenever anybody asked them if they had children, they said they had three girls because that's how they saw us. They saw us as their surrogate children. So this breakdown in the family had massive repercussions for them too. Why am I sharing all of this with you? We all have a story to tell. But I believe this story shows so clearly um, that despite the undoubted love that was there, um, the lack of communication, the lack of explanation, and the lack of understanding caused a disunity in our family that's had a lifelong impact, not just on me, but on so many members in the family. As a young child, I learned very quickly to be deceitful, to be secretive and not to trust. By seven years old, I could skillfully lie to my teachers and my parents. At school, I would say I was, I was to go home for lunch, but in reality, I was sneaking off to go and see my grandparents. And I would be back in school that nobody would know. After school or in the holidays, I would ask to go to the park. But instead, often I would sneak round to visit my aunt Jess and my uncle Clem, who by that stage only lived a few streets away. So I could do it easily. But I did it deceitfully. The following year, when I was about eight and a half years old, now if Amy had left the, school, left the street that we lived in when she was eight and a half years old, woe betide her. We lived in a small cul-de-sac. It was only about 10 houses long if she'd gone beyond that distance. <laughs> um, 
But during the summer holidays, I lied about where I was going. And I walked halfway across, at eight and a half years old, the city of Edinburgh to visit my gran and my grandfather. I didn't know the first time I did it exactly how long it was going to take me. And I think it quite shocked me. And it became quite scary. But I did it. And I did it regularly. We had no mo mobile phones, so I had no idea if they were going to be in or they weren't going to be in when I got there. But it was worth that risk to have that connection, to have that family link with them. When I got to my grandparents, I lied. I told them I had permission to be there and that I had been allowed to come. I'd got the bus. Of course I'd got the bus. My mum and dad had put me on the bus at the other end. I knew how to get there. Because I didn't want them to phone home and say to my mum and dad, she was here. Because I didn't want the visits to stop. During these visits, if I was lucky, one or other of my aunties and uncles would be there as well. But sadly, I rarely saw my cousins for years. And all of this, at eight years old, I was able to keep hidden and secret from my dad and my stepmom. So I grew another battle in my head. I liked, and I would still like to think that I'm an honest and honorable and loyal person. But no matter how justified I felt in lying and the deception, I couldn't quite marry these up, um, these opposing aspects of my life to who I was supposed to be. So I never felt I was good enough or that anything I did was enough. Far-reaching consequences for disunity for an eight-year-old. Our little family grew with the birth of my brother, my half-brother. We moved out of the city, so my secret visits were curtailed. But by this time, we were allowed to visit twice a year. Um, but as soon as I was able to earn enough pocket money, my secret visit started again. Four years ago at my Uncle Clem's funeral, I met my cousins and I met my oldest cousin. So this is a man who's extremely successful um, in business. In a, he works in a worldwide organization. He works in Pepsi-Cola. <laughs> so, but really high up, he travels the world with them. But when we spoke about when we were younger and how we had been stopped from seeing each other, he broke down in tears and he felt that he'd grown up from them feeling that he'd done something wrong, that he and his brothers must have been bad, that they had been stopped from seeing us. So this otherwise successful person was still stuck, still trapped in this childhood loss um, and not able to move past that. A lifelong consequence for the disunity and the impact of ineffective communication with children and an assumption that they wouldn't understand and they would just go over it. When I became a mum, it highlighted for me what I missed in knowing about my mum. I had a stepmom and I loved her but that is a different and unique relationship in itself. For me, it didn't replace the lack of relationship with my birth mum. 
Both relationships are so important, but one doesn't replace the other. They're just different. My auntie Jess, who's now 83 years old, two months ago found a box of papers in the back of one of her cupboards that had been left unopened from when my grandparents' house was um, closed when they passed away. She was going to put it in the bin, but she decided she would have a look and just see what was in it. And in the bottom, there was a small photograph album, and it was my mum and dad's wedding pictures. So for the first time this year, I saw what my mum really looked like. I could see the details of her face her expressions and her smile. And it was really overwhelming. But now it's given me so much comfort. It's hard to explain the positive impact of seeing just these simple photographs has made to me. I believe as adults, we have a responsibility to have the difficult conversations with each other, but also with the children in our lives. We can do it in an age-appropriate way, but their capacity to understand and accept is so much greater than we give them credit for. For those involved in or considering fostering adoption, I absolutely honour you. I have such admiration and respect for you. When I think of the lifelong struggle I've had with the disunity in my family, even though it was surrounded in love, how much more important will it be to have the difficult conversations, to be open to the questions, to not feel threatened by their need to know their family history and their heritage with children who will have had significant losses in their life, who may also have faced other traumas but without the counterbalance of feeling loved. But the reward of getting it right will be lifelong and generational. I truly hope this has spoken to somebody this morning. But if it hasn't, please know that working through this, and not quite putting on paper, but putting on my phone, has been a really cathartic process for me. And I'm in a much better place for having done it. So thank you for listening. Um, so yeah, so I, I had a lot more to say, I think, but do you know what? I think maybe we can just, I'll just wrap it up. Um, unity is at the core of what the Father wants for us. And there's so much, there's so much to say and there's so much that we can, we can think about unity, but there's a, there's a verse um, in Psalm 133 and it says, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. And so this morning I am um, going to pray. Um, first of all, I'm going to pray um, for people who maybe this morning just feel like they need to feel a renewed sense of unity with their Heavenly Father, who feel like they need that renewed sense of knowing Him, that, that renewed feeling of, of being connected with Him. Uh, and then we're going to pray for people who maybe just even have relationships or issues within uh, the church or with out with the church um, who, who have faced struggles in that way. And so 
maybe um, just as a as a, a kind of physical act, maybe you just want to lay your hands out in front of you, um, and we'll just close our eyes for a minute. Father, thank you that you are our Father, that you are our loving Heavenly Father who created us uniquely to be in relationship with you. You love us all differently. You love us uniquely, Father. You love us because we are the way you created us to be. We are in your image. We carry your image and we love we love you because of who you are, but you love us um, regardless of what we do or what we say. And so God, this morning, for those of us who feel an emptiness there, for those of us who feel a lack of connection with you, God, we just ask, would you pour out your love this morning? Would you pour out your Father's heart upon us this morning in a fresh way, Father? Would you help us to receive it, Father, regardless of what our earthly Father has been like, whatever our relationship is there, Father? Would you help us to receive your heavenly love, your fatherly love this morning? And yeah, God, we thank you that you created us to be in community, that you didn't create us to be on this journey alone that you placed us into earthly families, biological and spiritual families, Father. And so for those of us who have issues with our earthly families, God, we thank you that you are not a God of lack and that you bring about people to replace, and not to replace, Father, but to um, come alongside and support us in those ways that maybe our biological family, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, parents aren't able to do. You bring along people who can do that, Father. And so in times where we feel lack, God, would you help us just to be reminded of the blessings of the people that we have in our life and those connections and those the love that those people can pour out on us. And God, I even just pray for a fresh perception, a, pre a fresh perspective on those relationships that we have where there's difficulty, where there's pain, where there's grief. Father, would you give us a, would you give us your perspective on that, God? Would you bring healing where there's pain? Would you bring comfort where there is grief? God, just pour out whatever it is, Holy Spirit, today. Pour out whatever it is that we need today to receive. Jesus, we thank you for all that you have done for us, that you left your heavenly Father to be with us here on earth, to show us and to save us and to bring us life eternal with our heavenly Father, to bring us back into connection with him. And so this morning, God, we just want to lay aside anything that's holding us back, anything that is distracting us, anything that's taken away from the unity of your people. And God, we just stand today and we want to say, Father, that we will do all that is within our power to, to be united with you, but to be united as your people. God, we're not going to allow the, our heritage, we're not going to allow our history, we're not going to allow the lies and the distractions and the tactics of the enemy to be what divides us anymore. We're going to stand united as your people, as your church, as your sons and daughters, as brothers and sisters. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you, Father, that you are the ever-loving, everlasting, all-sufficient Father. Amen.